Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Yeah, we're thinking together about God's attributes for a dozen weeks or so. And uh, today we want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, great Old Testament book, and we're going to look at we're going to see a lot of God's attributes in Jonah, but we're going to really focus in on one in particular. So open your Bibles to Jonah. It's on, in that Bible that's near you. It's on page 926. I want to say thanks to Gabe and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. You notice Pastor Matt's not here this week. Uh, he and Mary Lee are on vacation with their kids, and they went up to the, central co- or, um, the coast of Oregon, and they were camping with their parents from Canada who had come down and Met him kind of halfway there. And then, uh, you know who else lives in Oregon? Those of you who've been around, Pastor Derek and his family. And so, Pastor Derek's church, our, De- Pastor Derek is our former uh, associate pastor that we just really love. Pastor Derek's church, their worship pastor is on vacation today. So, guess who is leading worship at Pastor Derek's church in uh, Dallas, Oregon this morning? Matt Merrily, our worship pastor. Isn't that great? Yeah, so they're rocking the place up there for the Lord, and Gabe's rocking the place here. And oh, just what great connections, you know, God gives us that way. So we're going to talk today about an attribute of God, and we're going to say about God that He is magnanimous. That God is magnanimous. That God no longer counts. Now, some of you go, oh, whoa, what do you mean, no longer counts? Well, let me finish the sentence. God no longer counts our sins against us. All right? Isn't that good news? And it, it comes out of his, his magnanimousness, his gracefulness, his kindness, his slowness to anger, his second chanceness. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna think about this attribute of magnanimity that God has, magnanimousness. And, and I think we see it here in Jonah... And, 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 you know, Jonah is this incredible story about God sending the prophet Jonah to these Ninevite people. And let me tell you, we're going to talk just a little bit more in a minute, but these Ninevite people were real rascals. I mean, they were bad dudes. Um, you know, ISIS in our day is pretty bad. And I think that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, same people, uh, were right up there in that same class, that same category of people. And, and, the, and the, the Ninevites, I mean, they are just, they are rascals and they're rebels. But, I, but one of the things that we discover in the book of Jonah is that Jonah's a rascal and a rebel too, right? And one of the things that we know from our own life, from my own life, is that I'm a rascal and I'm a rebel too. And, and I think you know that in your life as well, that you too are a rebel and a rascal. And we need the we need God's, God being magnanimous, because if not, we would be all undone. And so we're going to worship Him and praise Him and thank Him that He is a magnanimous God, the God who no longer counts, right? So Jonah chapter 3, we're going to be there. Just a short little book. You could read this book in, I think, six or seven minutes. Um, chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and you might want to mark this in your Bibles, a second time. I love that. God is magnanimous. He gives Jonah a second chance, right? 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And here's the message. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I have given you. Now, this is the second time that God has given a message to Jonah. The first time was back in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, right? Look back there. The word of the Lord, the very first verse of the book, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and God said to him, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah is a rebel, just like me, just like you. And, and he said, to heck with God's plan. I've got a better plan. I don't want to go to the Ninevites. I want to go. In, in fact, he was directed to go east. And what did he do? He went down to the shore and he got on a ship and he headed west. He's this, this rebel running from God, disobedient, sinful. And his running ran him right into the sea, right? I, I think, I hope many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. If you've ever been in Sunday school, you have this horrible image of a flannel graph impressed upon your brain. It will take much therapy to get flannel graph out of your brain, by the way. I've been in therapy for 30 years to get rid of flannel graphism. But but you remember that picture that he runs from God and he gets on a ship as a rebel and he's thrown overboard the ship into this big storm. And what is it that swallows him but this great fish? In fact, this, this word great or huge or big is a reoccurring word in the book of Jonah. It just keeps coming up time after time after time. And he's, he's swallowed by the, into the belly of this really big fish. And I think the fish was a mackerel. I've identified the fish. This is where the phrase holy mackerel came from for the very first time. If you did not see that coming, I am. You're worse off than I am if you didn't see that one coming. And so he is like full speed distressed, Jonah is, right? And there's seaweed wrapping around his head and his life is ebbing away in the depths of the sea. And then, if that's bad, not bad enough, the fish vomits him. We use the word around our house. We don't use the word vomit. We use the word barf. He barfed him back onto dry land. Now, now Jonah is such an obvious rebel, right? And you know really obvious rebels, you know, in college, if you would have seen me for about a year, I was an obvious rebel. It was clear, you know, partying and this and that and hanging out. It was really obvious. And you know some obvious rebels, but all of us are rebels. Some of us are just more discreet rebels than others. We keep our rebelness inside, and we've learned how to look decent while being rebels. And you know it because your attitude toward your spouse sometimes is a rebellious attitude, or your, your attitude toward your kids, or your apathy toward God, you know, or your bitterness. These are, are your unforgiving spirit, your anger. These are just in, mostly we, we keep them inside, but they're, 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 re, they're rebels. We're all rebels. Every single one of us, Ninevites are rebels, and Joan is a rebel, and you're a rebel, and I'm a rebel. And so I imagine as this rebel lay there on the beach covered with stuff, right? Right? Can you imagine? You got to think about what this must have been like for Jonah. You know, he knows he's a rebel, right? He's run from God. The ship is tossed to and fro. The sailors, who are professional sailors, have never in their lives seen a storm like this. They are scared witless. Sailors don't get scared very much. 
I got to be part of a, I got to be at a change of command. One of our, one of our own guys, J.D. Christensen, became the captain of a ship, the USS Champion, on Friday here. And man, I was imagining what that ship would be like out at sea in those rough waters. You know, they don't get scared easy. These sailors, this storm was so fierce, these sailors are throwing dollar bills over side of the, of the boat. It's their livelihood they're throwing over so that the ship wouldn't capsize. Jonah's been through it all, and he's laying there on the beach, and he's covered with stuff. And if I were Jonah, what I would be thinking is, well, what's God going to do next to me? And he's, he's going to clobber me again, right? What is it going to be, an elephant that's going to swallow me, a tornado that's going to lift me up into the heavens like the house in the Wizard of Oz and spin me around? What next? Because God's going to clobber me again. That's what I'm thinking as I'm laying there on the shore. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Wow! It seems to me that this God of ours doesn't count. Because if I were God, and you should be very grateful that I'm not, I would have a notebook making records of everyone else's sins. Because I do that as a non-God person already. And I'd keep record of all of those sins, and I'd count everybody's sins. And once they hit a certain, certain, certain threshold, they're out. Game over. They're crossed off the list. And I imagine Jonah is thinking that, that God has kept track of his sins. That he's counted each one of his sins. And so, what is it next? But God is magnanimous, isn't he? Jonah was a rascal, and he was guilty, and there's seaweed still hanging from his hair, and he got, has fish breath all over him, and yet, yet God is slow to anger. I, I just love that description of God. And it's not a description we made up. It's a description that God made of himself. God declares that he is slow to anger. He's magnanimous, that he's full of gracefulness. And he, he, he disdains meanness and revenge. And he gives grace to sinners who don't deserve it and who only expect punishment. And that's what he does. And so he gives Jonah a second chance. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. And God is magnanimous toward the Ninevites too. Look, look at verses 2 and 3 of the passage. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Here's this idea of everything is big in the book of Jonah. The city of Nineveh is big. And, and they're probably not just describing the city of Nineveh because the ruins we found of Nineveh aren't really that big. But it's probably the surrounding areas of Nineveh. But at the, in the day that Jonah entered that city, Nineveh was perhaps the greatest, largest city in the world. Nineveh, uh, Jonah had never seen a city like this before in his life. Amazing city and tall buildings and grandeur. And, and you know Nineveh. You know Nineveh. Nineveh was in the news all week this week. And it's been in the news for weeks. ISIS was driven out of Nineveh this week. Nineveh is Mosul. Mosul, Iraq. That's what, that's what Nineveh is. It's the same location. It's the city that's so relevant today as it was so relevant then. It was a, it, and so not only was it a big city then, but it, it was huge in another way. And it was huge in its wickedness. 
It was gigantic in its sin. I took my dad out yesterday for some health food. He doesn't get enough health food. So we went to Foster's Freeze. That's about the healthiest place I know. Do you guys know somewhere healthier? Over in Allied Gardens, the place I hung out in high school. And it's the same exact place, by the way, as when I was there in high school. And I, they, I, we, I decided what my dad needed was a Frosty, you know, chocolate-dipped Frosty, you know, because that's more nutrients and more food groups when you do that. And my dad got a small, but I said, supersize it. And I'm still eating it. And still wearing it as well. And, and, and Nineveh supersized its rebellion to God. I mean, they, they, if, I, if my rebelliousness is normally secret, theirs was out in the open. They, they, their brutality and their arrogance, probably they have the most gruesome reputation in the span of the whole Bible as the, as the, most, as the most brutal people. It's offering more atrocities than any other people group in the Bible. Any other people group. The Assyrians or the Ninevites. Um, they, were, they, were, they were bullies on steroids. I remember in junior high school. Every junior high school has a couple bullies, don't they? Billy the bully at our uh, middle school, Lewis Junior High. And I'll tell you what, he was the biggest guy, biggest seventh grader around. And he had a posse with him. And when they came down the halls, you got out of the way. What they wanted, they just took. And, man, I remember being at lunch sometimes, and they just look around the lunch table. If they saw Oreo cookies, I would have to hide my Oreo cookies. If they saw Oreo cookies, man, they just took them. That's what, that's what Billy the bully wanted, and that's what he took. And that was Assyria on steroids. And the Assyrians, they bragged about it. They boasted about it. The Ninevites. They boasted about their atrocities and their horribleness. And, and, and they wrote about it. You can, you, can, you can read in history braggings of the Ninevites, the Assyrians, it's the same people, of, of the things they would do to their enemies. Here's, they not only wrote about it, but they etched it in stone. So here's the might of the Assyrians going to battle. Nothing could stop them. And Israel was one of the recipients of their brutality. And one of their favorite things to do was to skin people alive. And then what they would love to do is they would impale people upon, upon, upon um, poles. And, and this was a good deterrent against going 60 miles an hour on H Street, let me tell you. It worked. When people would see this when they would see their friends or their kings or their governors or their, or, or their family members on this, they, they gave in, they gave up. And so it's to these people that God sends, that God sends not, that God, that God sends Jonah with a message. The message is in verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I think I hear in between the lines in the Bible, beneath Jonah's voice as he says, 40 more days. And he's saying underneath his breath, God nuke them now. Because I know if that was me, and I knew who the, who the Ninevites were, and what they had done and what their history was, is all they deserved was to be impaled themselves. Why in the world, Lord, do you give them 40 more days? What kind of God are you? 
Oh, a magnanimous God. Now I remember, Jonah says. You've been, I, I would scream out, wipe him out. Don't give him a second chance. Get him, God. Verse 5, look at this. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, and they repented of their sin. They, weren't, they didn't say it was those guys that sinned. They didn't say it was these people that sinned. They said it was us that sinned. And they, and they repented of their sin, and, and God had compassion upon them, and he rescued these people because our God is a magnanimous God, right? He is slow to anger and graceful. I, I want you to look at Jonah's, Jonah's sermon, and I know you're, you're going to say, is Gary, you could, look, you could learn something from Jonah's sermon. It's, it's eight words long. There it is in verse 4. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In the Hebrew, it's only five words long. It's even better. It's a five-point sermon. Five words long. But one of the words that really intrigued me in that is the word more. Forty more days. Now, why does God give them 40 and I'm not going to worry about the numbers. You can discover that on your own. Forty is a significant number in the Bible. Oftentimes we find it. But I'm not as interested in the word 40 or days, but I'm interested in this word more. It's the word Hebrew word odd, like O-D-D, it's, but it's just O-D, odd. It's the Hebrew word odd. And I love this word because I think it describes somewhat of God's character of being magnanimous. It means Unlimited. It means bountiful. It means um, it means again or longer. And I think this is, describes for us God's character: is that He's a God who always is so graceful to give more, not to be stingy, but to be generous; not to be petty, but to be large, to give more. So he doesn't just send, you know, why couldn't have God just, well, he could have. Why didn't God just send lightning down upon these people? Why didn't he swallow the whole city of Nineveh by a great fish? God could have done that, I suppose. But instead, he gives them a warning. And he says, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. You're, you're going to be finished. You're going to be, you're going to be flattened. Now, I don't think, honestly, that, that Jonah only preached five words. I, I don't think that's all he preached. In verse chapter 1, verse 1, um, uh, Jonah was called to preach against this city. And in verse chapter 3, verse 2, God gave him a message. And I think that there was more to the message than just those five Hebrew words. I'm pretty sure there were. And, and, and th whenever we share the good news of Jesus, you also have to share the bad news, right? Because before there's good news, there, there, there has to be bad news. That's something that we really believe here at Paseo del Rey. One of the things that we hang on to, a Tim Kellerism, is that, is, that, is that here's the good news, is you're a lot worse off than you thought you were. Right? Sometimes that's offensive to us, isn't it? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what Pastor Gary said, we're a lot, you're, a, you're a lot worse off, and I'm a lot worse off than you ever thought you were. But that's true. That's what the Bible says, right? And in 40 more days, we're going to be wiped out. That's what we deserve. But 
You are more loved and valued and accepted and safe and secure in Jesus than you could have ever imagined possible. That's the good news. And I would be willing to bet you a dollar to a donut or a dollar to a supersized Frosty, which was like $9.50. That has changed since I was at Foster's Freeze in high school. Um, I'd be willing to bet you anything that somehow in the message that Jonah, that God gave to Jonah, was not only this message of you guys are rascals and you're headed for destruction and you have 40 more days, was also, but I will no longer count your sins against you. That somehow the message was, was that God would would bear him, himself, would bear their sinfulness. Because these are just like Jonah, just like me, just like you. These Ninevites, they deserve God's wrath, just like all of us. And that God somehow communicated through Jonah to these people that I am a God who is compassionate and slow to anger. That's why I'm giving you more. That's why I'm giving you 40 days. And a God who no longer counts sins against you. And that one day would come my son who would all of your sins would be counted against him. In my love for you, I would count all of your sins against him so that now we can have fellowship and relationship and you can live not for yourselves, but for me. I'm offering to not count your sins against you. This is this attribute of God that God is magnanimous. Here it is up on the screen, that word. Some of you are going, I don't remember what the word magnanimous means. So I hope he defines it. And yes, I will. comes from... Two Latin words, real simple, magnus is big, magnum, uh, huge, that idea. And animus is spirit or life or um, uh, animation. We get our word animation or animal from animus, this Latin word. And the idea is that God has this spirit that is so big. God doesn't have a tiny little spirit. So here's a definition that I've created. Uh, I've kind of taken a couple of dictionary ones and then, and then put them together. Magn- to be magnanimous is to have a, a spirit that's high, that's lifted up, that enables us to bear trouble calmly and to disdain meanness and revenge and to make sacrifice for worthy ends. Man, that's God, isn't it? He has this huge, great, gracious spirit. And he's able to not get freaked out when there's, when there's trouble, when there's rebellion. You know, he just, he just doesn't get freaked out at that. He stays calm. Now, I get freaked out at that when, when, when my kids don't do what I want them to do. Man, I, ah, when my wife doesn't agree with me, ah, I don't bear that calmly. Now, I look like I'm bearing it calmly on the outside most of the time, not all the time. But on the inside, it's just creating this angst. I, I am not magnanimous in any way like God is magnanimous. And I'm growing in being magnanimous. And I want to become more and more magnanimous. But no one is like God who's able to bear trouble calmly. And I like this, to disdain meanness and revenge. You know, not just to be indifferent about meanness or to try to not, try to not be mean, but to, but to hate meanness and to hate revenge, and willing to give up things like your son, in God's case, for more worthy, for, for, for worthy ends. 
This is who God is. This is his character to be magnanimous and generous and graceful and merciful and kind and friendly and open-handed. And it is the opposite of pettiness and scorekeeping and gloating and saying, I told you so. As I've pastored, I've had just oodles and oodles of opportunities to counsel um, families and marriages and individuals. And this spirit, the opposite spirit of this, the spirit of pettiness and of instead of dis- disdaining meanness, of disdaining people, I just, and, 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 and I don't have to do counseling with other people to see it. I see it in my own life. And, and God is just the opposite of that. He just, he doesn't hold grudges. He, 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 he is calm even when there's trouble and he hates meanness and revenge. And, and, and the Ninevites are blown away that God, you know what, even his warning to them, even his warning to them was magnanimous, wasn't it? Because he could have just come in and just, you're gone. And, and you know the storm in chapter 2 and chapter 1 of the book of Jonah? Sometimes we see that as God's punishment. That's God's grace. That's God's magnanimousness, where he is gracefully warning Jonah Jonah, get back on track here. I'm warning you of this. And oftentimes in our lives, when God is harsh with us and when he disciplines us, he's doing it out of his graciousness to us to get us back onto track, to come back to him, to where we're really going to be safe. God only only disciplines those who he loves. It's a fatherly discipline. And that's what he was doing with the storm. And that's what he's doing with this warning to the Ninevites. And that's what he he continues to do. And like the book of Revelation, sometimes we're we're fearful of the book of Revelation. And and it's just, it's symbol laden. And I certainly don't think I know what half of the symbols in there mean. I have some ideas, but I don't know what, what many of those symbols mean. But I know this that the book of Revelation is a book of grace. Because what it is, it's God's being magnanimous of warning us of what will happen in the future for those who continue to say no to Jesus. It's it's His graciousness to us to to repent, to, to, to shuv, the Hebrew word says, to turn, to go another way in His grace. So even... In his harshness, even in his warnings, it's God being magnanimous to us. Let's put that definition up again. Thank you. A loftiness of spirit enabling one to bear trouble calmly, to disdain meanness and revenge, and to make sacrifices for worthiness. This is our God. This is our God. Um, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is God himself speaking, Exodus 34. And you know what? Eight more times God uses this title, that, God, that, I, that he is slow to anger. We're going to look at this in a series we're going to start in a couple of weeks, uh, Good and Angry. We're going to use that as kind of a central verse in our series. But God is slow to anger. Eight more times God uses this as a description of himself. And every single one of them, is in the Old Testament. It's the same God, Old Testament to New Testament, slow to anger, even there in Exodus 34. Or look what Daniel said, Daniel 9, 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. 
God is magnanimous. Daniel celebrates that. Or remember the story that we went through earlier this year in this great passage from Luke 15. Quick, the father said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This must be for his son that's done everything that he's ever wanted him to do in his life, right? This is from his obedient, for his obedient son. No, it's just the opposite. It's for his rebel son. And what is the father who represents God the father in that story? It's telling us that I am a God who is magnanimous, who doesn't count, who doesn't count our sins against us. Or um, uh, let's see, uh, th- yeah, those are the three that I had. And think about how magnanimous God is to characters in the Bible. When you read through the Bible, just think how often God is so magnanimous. Think, think about how uh, magnanimous God was God to Abraham, how God was to Abraham and Sarah. You know, he snatches them out of uh, worshiping the moon. They're, they're heathens. He snatches them out. He gives them a great promise, and, and he walks with them, and he stays with them. What do they do? Abraham turns out to be a liar more than once, right? He's an adulterer. And, and, and then they, they laugh. They laugh at God. God. They laugh at God when he gives them his promise again. And yet, God, what does God do? He makes a great nation out of these, these people who, who deserve, like I do, who deserve God's wrath. God, God was not easily bothered by that. God was, stayed calm in those times of trouble. Or think about the sons of Jacob. Think about those sons of Jacob. Um, man, those guys were rascals too, weren't they? Ten of them almost got in a fist fight arguing about whether they should just kill their brother Joseph or sell him to trade slave traders. Man, these are the famous guys in our faith. But see, God is magnanimous, isn't he? He's slow to anger. He's slow to bring, um, he disdains meanness. And yet, and God is grateful even to those brothers. Or think about King David, King David. Man, uh, God more than once describes David as a man after his own heart. <laughs> what does David do? He's a murderer and an adulterer. Uh, in, in, in the reverse orders, he's an adulterer and a murderer. And, and I, I kind of wonder if he wasn't God's friend, what he would he have done? And yet God is this, he's amazingly graceful to David, isn't he? And, and he raises David up to write Bible. You, you've got David, this, this adulterer and murderer, that God was magnanimous toward. He writes Bible. He writes many of the Psalms. And, and much of the history of the Bible is about him. And he writes a Psalm like this. Psalm 25 verse 6. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love. For they are from old. Remember, Lord, that you are magnanimous. That you are full of mercy. You have great big mercy. You have great big love that's deep and wide and high and long. And God, you didn't just... I'm not just cooking these things up, David says. They are from old. That's what they're from. This is the way you've always been, and this is the way you'll always be. You'll always be magnanimous. He is slow to anger. And this morning we're going to come and share together in the Lord's Supper. And we're um, we're going to take a piece of bread that reminds us that God no longer counts our sins against us. And we're going to take that 
bread that reminds us of his body that he gave, and we're going to dip it into the juice. And there's a gluten-free option over at that station as well, and we're going to dip it into that, that juice that reminds us of his blood, that reminds us that in Christ Jesus, what the Ninevites experienced and what Jonah experienced and what the sons of Jacob experienced, and what Abraham and Sarah experienced, and what King David experienced, is what we experience. We rascals, we bad dudes and dudettes, who are only deserving of God's wrath. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And this is a meal of remembrance. And as you come, you know, sometimes I'm driving in my car and I remember a sin from my high school days or my college days or from last week that's been confessed and I've claimed the forgiveness of Jesus Christ And yet, I begin to think about it again. And it begins to bother me again. And I feel condemned again. And I have to come back to the promise that God made me. That God is a God who doesn't count. That in Jesus Christ, all of my sins have been counted against His Son. That His love for me was that deep and wide and high and long. And I think some of you struggle with some of those same things in your life. And so as you come to this table today, confess your sins. And as you confess your sins, John tells us that if you, confess, if you agree with God about what you have done or said or not done or not said, that if you confess your sins, that God is the righteous one and he is the just one to not count your sins against you to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you go forth today as people, as men and women and young people, no matter what's in your past, whether you're a King David, whether you're a Ninevite, whether you're a Jonah, whether you're just you, forgiven by the magnanimous God who no longer counts our sins against us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we worship you today because you are magnanimous. And you've chosen to take all of our sins and to no longer count them against us to whom they are due, but to count them against your Son, whom in his love for us became sin in our place. And so, God, today we want to rejoice and celebrate how magnanimous you are. It's not about how good we've tried to be to make up, because we can't, but it's how good Jesus is in taking the punishment for all of our sins. 
that we now might have this free and wonderful and beautiful, savoring and saving relationship with you. So we, this day, worship you as we celebrate that you no longer count, as we share together in this supper of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We want to invite you to stand and we just invite you to come to the Lord's Supper. There's four stations. Whenever you're ready, whoever's, give folks who are already there, just give them lots of room, lots of time. If you'd like to kneel or, or pray with someone, that's absolutely fine. We invite you to come as we continue to worship him in music.